Uh, if you're looking for a title for today's message, uh, it would be called Abundant Living, but perhaps uh, the subtitle would be uh, Confronting Deception in Abundant Living, because <clears throat> in Matthew 4, what was Jesus tempted with? It was matters of provision and protection. The devil tried to deceive the Son of God himself that God isn't who he said he was, that he wasn't his father, that he wouldn't protect him, that he wouldn't provide for him, and nowhere in Scripture can it be found that that would be the case. And Jesus refutes the, the tempter, the, the liar, Satan, with Scripture and says, I'll just read it for you from Matthew 4. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then Satan tempted him with the matter of protection, saying, you know, fall down from this, from this building and have the angels save you, basically. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you, sh you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so if Jesus was tempted in the, mat in the, in, in the area of abundant living, of provision, right? Because oftentimes when we think of, of abundance, we think of having more than enough. It's going to be a common temptation to us. And it's something that I've been confronting and dealing with and coming out of. And so hopefully this morning's message is one that encourages you to fight the battle as well, to armor up. And hopefully you are uh, edified by whatever testimony that I might have and, and going about living abundantly in your own walk with the Lord Jesus. Because there's nothing in the scripture that matches a meager lifestyle. There's nothing meager about Jesus' personality. Again, I, I, when we think of abundance, we think of material things, and it is certainly that. I'm going to be talking about money this morning, but I'm also talking about the fruit of the Spirit and having a richness about us, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want an abundance of those things. I remember telling Brittany a few years ago now, we'd I think Chloe was just born, and we we're talking about relationship with our kids down the road, and they're, they're young, five, three, and one years old now. I remember saying, I would rather be rich in relationship with them and poor and destitute than the other way around if we were rich and they hated us. But God's not neither or, it's both and. I believe we can have both, all right? Luke 16.11 talks about if we're unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, how can we be entrusted with the true riches? Yeah. What are the true riches? Because he wants to give us material riches, to give us wealth, right? Ben just was up here exhorting us in our giving that it's, it's like understood. It's just a given that we're wealthy. Praise God, right? But what are the true riches that he wants to entrust us with? Yeah that we would have love, that we would have joy, that we would have peace, and that as image bearers of God, we would go and reproduce that inside of others. Part of reproduction is, is abundance, right? It's inherently an abundant act. We went from one to two, and two to four, and four to eight. Go and make disciples of the nations. It's a multiplication principle. It's an abundance principle. If we have spiritual eyes to see, abundance is all over scripture, and I had to figure out some way to find a handful that would apply to this morning's message. But as you read scripture, have the spiritual eyes for there's an abundance available to every single one who calls upon the name of the Lord. John 10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I was convicted by what Paul shared a couple weeks ago. The title of his message was Faith, Faith in the Abundance, Faith for the Abundance. And I was out of town and, um, on a family vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It was wonderful. We had a great time. I came back that following day and said, hey, have you had a chance to listen to it yet? And I'd only listened to about a third. Like, um, I was already convicted enough at that point. <laughs> I don't want to listen to the rest of it. I did. I did listen to the rest of it. But God was, is at work in me right now. That I'm, I'm inviting you into a journey, and hopefully there's, there's some application for you as well because it's a renewing of the mind when you've struggled with fear for 29 years like I have. And fear when it, as it relates to, to provision and who God really is and how much he really cares for me. 
And it's been a slow process, and I believe he can do it in an instant for some, but for me it's been a process. And I'm grateful for the process of God because as he deals with me, I'm able to receive more from him. And I'm not talking just materially because I want the treasure center of my heart to treasure Jesus before anything else. And so he's had to speak to me about fear because I grew up and it was, it was just always there for me in terms of planning for worst case scenario. And I went to school for, for finances and financial planning and risk management, um, which it sounds good in theory, right? But when you apply it to God's kingdom, I'm not saying don't have a plan, but my motives were so ill because it was filled with fear because I didn't believe God was a God of abundance. I was deceived. I believed that he would provide just enough. Like I had faith for the need, but I didn't have faith for much more beyond that. Certainly not to overflowing, to an abundance. And I just, I can't find it in scripture where God is not an abundant God. The fullness of Jesus. Think about the fullness of, of, of his person, of his character, of his nature. There's nothing meager about him. And yet I go about sulking and, and, and in, internally just full of fear and shame for like, what if life is more than this? We don't have to walk through life with our shoulders cowered over or face down or anything like that. If you're struggling with fear or shame this morning, I want to encourage you. That is not your portion, period, end of story. It's not in the life of a believer. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I just referenced it. I came to give life and that they would have it abundantly. Those two things don't match up to me. God, why am I not living out what your scripture says I should? We'll get to that later. Because there's so much in the statement that he came to give us life and life abundant. Because the best things I received aren't, aren't money, isn't wealth, their relationships, their experiences, their encouragements. There's so much life in the kingdom. So much life in the kingdom. So what does the fullness of life look like in a local fellowship? or in your individual life? Can we say that we have an abundant prayer life, that we have abundant time alone with God, and that our studies breed more studies of him, and it just becomes this infectious thing that we can't help, but we're, we're teeming over and overflowing, that we have to share what God is impressing on us and, and, and telling us and speaking us. That's abundance when it comes to walking with the Lord in a deep, real, intimate way. If it's not teeming over into others, I would question just how abundant it really is. And I'm again, I'm inviting you into the journey. I, I'm not preaching at. I'm I'm right here. I'm I'm in the pew myself. <laughs> I'm out, out of the body experience. I'm I wanna I wanna learn. God is revealing stuff to me even as I speak. Praise the Lord. What is the culture of our prayer life, of our work life, of our relationships with in-laws and siblings and family members? See, I don't think we fully invest in these things because we don't believe that they can be really vibrant, that they can be abundant, that they can be teeming and swarming with the life of God, or we don't have the patience to see God work in them. We've bought into the lie that it's just the way it is. That's just how so-and-so operates. But don't we see that that's meager? That's a meager mindset. It puts God in a box. I mean, just to use a practical example, I was joking with, uh, with Hannah a week or two ago. My, How many cousins do you have? They just keep coming. Praise the <laughs> Lord. Seriously, the, in this family, the Hughes, Hammonds, Marsh family keeps growing at our house because they've been faithful to share and have gospel God conversations. And it inspires me and convicts me why aren't I doing that more where's my family and friends seriously and it's okay if you have family and friends that fellowship elsewhere I'm not saying your whole family has to come to our father's house but I am saying we should be so filled up with the Lord that we can't help but sharing with everyone whom we come in contact with which most oftentimes it's not a stranger those are those are hard difficult you know, seeds to plant when there's zero relationship there, but when you have Easter dinners and birthday parties and what have you, and there's tension in the room because we've got the history and whatnot, but then that's when the fear of man comes in. That's when the meager mindset comes in and say it's not going to change. 
who's going to stir the change? Who's going to be the vessel of change? Paul talked about, are we putting our two fish, or if you're in Kentucky, fishes and five loaves out there for God to use? Because he, he uses what's available to him. Are we available to the Lord? Or are we putting him in a box because we don't believe abundantly that our family members can indeed change? Thank God someone was willing to say the hard things or, or share the gospel with us or be exactly stuck where they are. It's our turn to pay it forward in the kingdom. I hate the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It shouldn't be true of humans. I want to remain pliable and moldable until the day Jesus brings me home. And I realize old mindsets, they take time to, to destroy. I just told you it's been a 29-year battle. And since I've been saved, a, really a seven-year battle in many ways with, with fear. And it, it takes a while. We have to use discernment, but we have to partner in faith that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, proving what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable because God is too good of a father to leave us stuck in depression and anxiety and fear and all the negative things that come with, with that. Because there's abundance after the blockage. He's removing those things. We have to be faithful to partner with him, to allow him to remove those blockages. So if fear is operating in your heart, you're cutting off the abundant life of God. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we partner that scripture, John 14, 6, with what I just read in, in John 10, 10, that he came, came to give life and life abundant, he's giving away himself. He's giving away more of himself. That's the ultimate aim. That It was ministered during the worship this morning that we want to be free of, of distraction and that he would have preeminence in all things. Well, if we're creating a void, the distraction's gone, what are we filling it up with? We can fill it up with other distractions, I suppose. But God's emptying out to do a work to fill all things with himself is what the Bible says. And again, I'm going to keep hammering this point. There's an abundance in the person of Jesus. There's so much to him. He said that it would take an eternity to get to know him. That's a long time. But here's another truth. We're standing in eternity right now. A lot of times we think, oh, that's after I die and I know Jesus. So my We're standing on the front end of eternity right now. And we get to experience the abundance that is in heaven right now. Even in the midst of the swirl, in the midst of the chaos, we can have the abundance. Yeah. There is abundance after the blockage. We remove in order to receive more of him. And if that's not the case, we need to ask the Lord to purify our motives. Because he, he does manifest himself in so many ways. And we don't even realize it. There's abundance. There's, there's provision. There's, you know, inheritances that come. There's cars that don't break down when they should have a long time ago. There's, there's roofs that don't leak even though they're 40 years old. It, a provision from the Lord comes in many, many ways. I think we're going we're gonna to have a, a little movie reel in heaven at one point in time. I don't know. I can't back this up. But <laughs> I can't back this up from Scripture, but this is something that my mind goes to. And I think he's going to point out so many times where that was me, that was me, here I am, just continually revealing himself to us. And we didn't even know it. And part of my testimony and the provision of the Lord, he was providing for me before I even knew him. How much mercy does it take and love does it take to, to provide for someone when I was actively working against him? And I knew better. I, it wasn't that I was um, you know, completely lost and never heard of Jesus before. I backslid. I was lukewarm. And I wasn't partnering with anything that he was doing. And yet he still cared enough to provide for me. Every parent in the room, you want your children to flourish in every way possible. How much more so if we, being evil, want to give the gift of abundant living to our children 
does our Father in heaven want to give us abundant life as well? And what's the price he's willing to pay to give us abundant living? It's the next verse in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Abundant living came for, for you and me. It came at a high, high price. And we believe that the easier verses, right, the, the more quotable ones, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or in the beginning, Genesis 1, 1, he created the heavens and the earth, or John, 1 John 4, 10, God is love. I think I missed that reference. Paul, double-check me. Someone double-check me. But we believe those things, right, because they're, they're cited so much, but then we hear about, I came to give life and life abundant, and it just kind of, we just keep on reading. It just deflects, and we don't really truly believe in our heart of hearts that God really did come to give us life and life abundant. I want you to wrestle with that text this week. Did Jesus really say it, or did he not? I think we cut off the abundance because it takes a dangerous amount of faith faith to receive abundantly. But what's a dangerous amount of faith? Jesus defined it as a mustard seed, right? Maybe y'all don't know what a mustard seed looks like. This is not one. What do we got here, John? Correct. We have an acorn. <laughs> Sorry. In my mind, I was going to hand in the microphone for that. We have an acorn. It's a true statement. What else do we have here? Because I don't think John has a meager mentality. But we have a forest in the making. If only we have the spiritual eyes to see it. Are we willing to plant the seed and watch it grow? I, I understand forests take a long time to grow, but it's just an analogy. Bear with me. All right? What if Peter and Paul and the other early disciples didn't see that the seeds that they were planting would one way one day grow up to be uh, the shadow and the shade that uh, millions of others are able to dwell in who knows that seed that you're planting right now if your co-worker is the next billy graham or the next whomever church planner evangelist prophet small group leader that they go and they have the relationships and access in your workplace that you don't, and all of a sudden, your small business of 50 people is on fire with of the Lord. The possibilities are endless, but it's a meager mentality that says, it's not worth it, or I'll just get one. Hey, great for one. Let's be believing in the 30, 60, 90 fold. There are 613 laws and statutes in the Old Covenant. What was their purpose? One reason was so that the Israelites would be set apart from other peoples and nations, that they would be distinguished, that they would be holy unto God. And so if we believe that, if we believe that the old was training wheels for the better to come, how much more so should we be distinguished from non-believers today? What are, this, what are the distinguishing marks of a believer, right? We've talked about this before, that we hate the things we, we love the things we used to hate and we hate the things we used to love and that being born again means being filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So let me marry two different passages for you. Genesis 1 and Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Genesis 1, 28 says, <clears throat> sorry, be fruitful and multiply. And then God gives that instruction to the fishes and the animals and all living creatures. And then he gives the same instruction to the human, to mankind, to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. And the study note from the NET, the NET says this about that verse. The instruction God gives to creation is properly a fuller expression of the statement just made. God bless them, that he enriched them with the ability to reproduce. The repeated emphasis of be fruitful, multiply, fill, adds to this abundance God has given to life. If we have life in the Spirit because the Spirit is living inside of us, 
then how much more so as image bearers of God should we be re reproducing the fruit of his spirit inside of others? See, it goes beyond just physical reproduction here, right? I'm trying to apply a natural principle into the spiritual, right? That, that be fruitful and multiply. God is, what, what good does it do for my children if I don't impart the life of God into them, right? If they're not bearing his image as well. I know it's God doing the work through me, but if they just have life, life can be pretty miserable. But if I teach them the things of, of the kingdom, of Jesus, how abundant thinking that they will have and carry on into their adulthood, right? That they won't have the same struggles that I used to have. That's the role that us parents get to play. It's important. It starts young. I see some newborns in the room. Praise the Lord. We love the children here. We care deeply about the children here. That's why there's a volunteer meeting afterwards to clarify some things and update some things and make sure that the littlest and most vulnerable among us are cared for. How much more so does God care? And want, I'm, We're trying to build generationally. When we die, and all of us one day are going to die unless Jesus comes back sooner, all right? Hopefully our Father's house outlives anyone in this room. And that our children, our children's children, and great-grandchildren will carry on the work. And that whatever ceiling we might have would be their floor. And I'm trying to break through the ceiling of meager mindsets this morning. not enough to know the fruit of the spirit we have to walk in it galatians 5 25 which is just three verses later after the fruit are listed in verse 22 5 galatians 5 25 says if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit we have to walk in it all right we have more than just tickets to the ball game right but tickets to the ball game don't do you much good if you don't show up but guess what when we show up God's the coach, and he's saying, you're in. I have a role for you. You're not just spectating. I want you in the game, and we are, we're all many members. We have, a, we have a role to play, right? Not everyone can pitch. Not everyone can catch, right? There's nine positions out there. If you're not familiar with baseball, we can talk more after the service about what were you talking about. But it's a beautiful game. I love the game. If I wasn't up here filled with the spirit and I was out there in the world, I might be chasing a career in baseball announcing. That's how much I love baseball. All right, the most fun I ever had at Indians game was I sat down next to this Brazilian gentleman. He had his family. He had no idea what was going on. I'm not sure how he ended up there, but they were having a great time. It was a great ball game. He was asking me questions. The seventh inning stretch came around. That was hilarious. They were, they were looking around at all these people like, why are they literally stretching and standing up and singing this weird song? <laughs> I digress. I love, I love teaching. I do. It's part of why the Lord has graced me in the way he has. And I love to teach baseball, but I love to teach his word even more. We all have a role to play. Not everyone's a home run hitter. Not everyone's a great defender. We need the all-star and we need the bat boy all the same. Think of the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He had a role to play, but he turned it down. He had the same invitation as the other disciples, come, follow me. But he was caught up in his love of money. He couldn't walk away from his riches. After saying he kept all, all the commandments, he said, he asked of Jesus, what am I still lacking? So even, even abundance materially is deceiving because he had it and he said, I'm still lacking. Because we, if we have all the riches in the world, but we don't have the Lord, that's all for naught. It all passes away. We're, we can't keep any of it with us. But when we have the Lord, he's on the other side of our last breath, too. He asks, what am I still lacking? And God definitely blesses us materially. It's okay to have. It's okay to have way more than enough. But we have to be willing to die to that part of ourselves that wants to make it an idol. And it was an idol in the rich young ruler's heart. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, 
when Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die. Jesus was bidding the rich young ruler to die to the part of his heart that kept him from receiving true abundant life, to receiving the true riches. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to bounce around these two chapters a little bit. I just want to expound from the word of God. Paul writes to Timothy, I believe it's in the letter to Timothy, to pay attention to the public reading of the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Let's look at the source of their generosity. It was abundant joy. And they were impoverished. Those two things are not uh, mutually exclusive. You can be of humble circumstance and have abundant joy. I was just talking with a friend who came back from a mission trip in Kenya, and he, he was so blown away by the fact that they had more joy than most Americans, and none of them had a smartphone, none of them had social media. It was a very impoverished area, and yet that was what the Lord impressed upon him in his trip, that there was so much joy there, and that bears witness with Scripture. I just read it to you. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here's another source of their generosity. They gave themselves to the Lord. It was out of communion and intimacy with him that there was an overflowing in their heart that would move them to give such a generous gift to the church in Corinth. And yet they were deeply impoverished. This passage is mind-boggling to me because it's, it's often the most quoted for when the baskets are getting passed, as well it should. It's a very important verse because it should encourage all of us, and we just agreed most of us agreed, like, we're rich here in America, right? Right? Well, how much more so should we be moved to generosity when we don't have deep affliction and we don't have deep impoverishment? Verse 6, so we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. A lot of abounding here, a lot of abundance here, and most of it has nothing to do with material wealth, faith, knowledge, earnestness, love. And out of those things, that's where generosity and material abundance arose. Skipping over to chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's a lot of reaping and sowing in Scripture, and I want to encourage you all that it goes way beyond just your tithe, that just giving money. <clears throat> when we reap our, or when we sow our, our resource, not just our resources, but our talents, our time, our spiritual gifts, there's going to be a return on that. God just said that there would be. And if we sow in abundance, we can expect an abundance in return. We just have to first faithfully sow. Are you willing to start with the one acorn that you have? Because if you jump down to verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower, it's God supplying the acorn, it's God supplying the seed, and bread for food, supplying the strength for you in order to go about his work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, whenever we sow, what can we expect in return? 
typically whatever it is that you like if you put a tomato plant in the ground you expect tomatoes right so oftentimes it comes back in the form that we gave it but scripture also encourages encourages us that it's coming back in the form of righteousness in the form of holy living in the form of getting closer with god because we've already established earlier that abundance materially is is an illusion while god wants us to have it and steward it rightly it's not it, it's a byproduct of a relationship with him because he wants to entrust us with the true riches see if you can picture with me a gas gauge you have empty on one side full on the other and then there's that like eighth of a tank that's in the red right you shouldn't live in the red take this from a mechanic son if you're always uh uh, living in the red on your gas gauge, Ben Locker can tell you you'll you'll be seeing him for a new fuel pump soon. Just <laughs> fill up the tank, all right? Don't don't run on E. I had a boss, my first boss ever. I was a land, I first job, seventh grade landscaping. We would go to the gas station every single morning, and he would put ten dollars of gas in his truck, and take it from in the red to just above the red, every time. He had a meager meager mindset for sure. He also wanted to go inside and buy himself lunch that day in a Gatorade. So I get kind of why he did it, but why not fill it up to full? Because my dad was his friend and he told him, I'm going to have to replace your fuel pump one day. Two years later, within two years of him saying that, $1,200 sunk down the drain. Seriously, all because of a meager mindset. Meager mentality begets more meagerness. And he was at a detriment. He was... Would you rather have $1,200 or it be out of your pocket, right? If he had believed in the abundance of God, I don't know specifically my old boss's walk with the Lord, but if he had just been in full and living in the overflow, he would have been fine. He would have had that $1,200 and then some, I guarantee it. Hmm. Anyway. Picture with me that gas gauge. Sorry, I got lost in my old job. <laughs> I'm grateful for it. It taught me hard work. It taught me a lot of things. Work is important. But I had, again, I'm inviting you into the journey because I would often live in the red. I had faith for God would just carry me out of the red, that he would meet the need. I could get to where I'm going and then maybe a little bit further so I didn't have to sweat it. But I didn't have faith for the overflow. Because it was my unbelief that was blocking him from, he didn't want to turn off the gas pump. He wanted to keep going and going and going to, overf to overflow. That others would come and, and receive and be blessed by what he was pouring into me. And that's true of you as well. He doesn't want to fill you just to just pass the red. That's meager mentality. That's not abundance in, in the kingdom. Sometimes he gives us just enough. It's a test. It's a test. But tests are temporary. They're meant to be passed, and then you're on to the next thing. Right? I haven't taken the algebra test since 7th or 8th grade or whenever that was. All right? The knowledge is still there. It's been entrusted to me. I don't need to prove it again. The knowledge is there. I'm excited for what the Lord is doing in my heart and your hearts when it comes to fear because we're going to be on to bigger and greater things. Because I, I realize it's a monster. It's been a giant for me. But one day I'm going to look back and say, that was a small domino. We're on to, the, on to bigger things. God, thank you for dealing with that in my heart. Again, this is not to belittle or, or, or um, overlook any pain that might be in the room. All right? We all struggle with fear. We all do. But God wants to move us past it. It's his perfect love that casts out all fear. I want to be perfect. I want to, I know I'm perfectly loved by the Lord, but I want to know it in my heart so that I can live it out. So when those things pop up, when the, hey, you need a new fuel pump, not because you were living meagerly, but just, I don't know, car repair, random medical bill, is that going to be met with fear or is that going to be met with faith that the Lord cares way more about my health or my way of being able to provide for my family than I ever could? I'm excited to be passing tests. When we're in the when we're in the crushing, 
when we're in the pressing and the Lord is testing us, that should build up our faith because that means he's, he's on to something. He's doing something in us. We oftentimes don't want to sit down and take the math test. It's, it's unbelief and fear that makes us run and hide from it. He wants us to take the test, to pass and be on to abundant living. I want Jesus to be the treasure center of my heart. Does my bank account, do my purchases, do my, does my giving reflect that I treasure Jesus? Do my conversations reflect that I treasure Jesus? Does my, how I steward my time reflect that I treasure Jesus? The average person spends three hours a day on their cell phone. If you spend, if, let's just say you have another 50 years of life from this moment forward. If you spend three hours a day for the next 50 years, you would have spent over six years on your phone. My son is just turned five. Could you imagine if he was born, I picked him up and said, hey, this is awesome, great, I love you, I'll see you in six years. I would miss out on so much. We're teaching him how to ride his bike right now, but my head was buried in my phone for another 10 months. Hey, it's part of the deception. Some, some people think that there's abundance on social media that just one more scroll, one more video roll, one more Instagram post, one more like, one more you name it, one more YouTube video, one more thing, there's abundant life on the other side of it. And it's just not true. It's just not true. I'm so grieved. I've been guilty of it, but I try not to. But I'm grieved when I go out to restaurants or the park or the park's really mind-boggling. But when you see, like, families or friends together and they're all on their phones. Like, you all got together to then not spend time together? But I'm saying at a, at this, this is real. Last night I was preparing for the message and I, I just wanted a little bit of a break. I told myself, 11.25, I'm, I'm putting the phone back down just five minutes and then all of a sudden it was 11.35. It's like, oh, Mitch, you're a good Christian. It was only 10 minutes. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter if it was one minute. I told myself 11.25, I lack the self-control, right? That's a part of abundant living. I want abundant self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. All right? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. That was sin. I told myself. I could have benefited from 10 more minutes of sleep or 10 more minutes of preparing for this morning. I'm just trying to be raw and real with you guys. told you I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm in this journey with you. See, we're all the rich young ruler, holding on to something, someone, some relationship, some characteristic about ourselves or incorrect theology or sin that is holding us back from receiving the fullness of the kingdom. Mm. God is taking us past the red and the gas gauge. Because when we empty ourselves out, he's filling up the gas tank again. Every day to full. It's spilling over. I'm feeling it right now. He's filling, he's filling up people in this room with his spirit, with the fruit of his spirit, to live lives that are active, that are engaged, that are pursuing him, that want to defeat the strongholds of fear and meager mindsets. Some practical things I'm doing. I'm telling you, I'm struggling with fear. I got desperate recently. I got really desperate. I, Brittany's always had license to come and, and wound me in love. My wife, Brittany, I told her, please, if you see it, say something right away. Confront me. It's okay. Wound me in love. I've invited my financial planner, who's also a believer, said, I'm desperate. You're the person who knows the most about money in my life, my situation, and, and I just, I want to get free. Anytime this fear thing, this meager mentality bubbles up inside of me, I'm coming to talk to you if you're willing. Praise God, he's willing. And I'm getting free. I'm making desperate I'm not being just careless with my finances, but I am trying to be intentional and in saying yes to things that I've put off for a long time. Because it's a, it's a lie to say that, well, God's not going to meet the need if we, yeah, granted it may have been lower on the needs or wants list, but God goes beyond just fulfilling the needs, Right? Nowhere in Scripture do we, do we see that. He, wants, he, he meets needs 
and our wants because he's abundant God. I'm not trying to preach the prosperity gospel. I know it's been said up here before, but we've, we've preached so much in America against the prosperity gospel, or at least some churches have, that we've delved into the other lane, that we have to be poor in order to be really godly. And it's not true. The truth is in the tension in the middle. It's about purifying motives so that we can steward what we have, whether it's a little or a lot, so we can be entrusted with the true riches. It's a stewardship principle, and it's not an identity thing. We shouldn't be tied up in, oh, I have a little or, oh, I have a lot. It doesn't define who we are. Nowhere close does it define who we are. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews 3, verse 12. I told you there's, <clears throat> there's abundance after the blockage. And in this passage, we see what the blockage was for the Israelites. It was unbelief. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast in the beginning, fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was angry for 40 years, was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The promised land was full of rest for them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. Flowing not a descriptor of, of abundance. There wasn't just a little bit of milk and honey. And it wasn't meat and potatoes either. They had that in Egypt. Though they were oppressed, they, they still had a basic need met and food. But milk and honey, that's a fattener, that's a sweetener, that was a luxury item back then, and the Lord was leading them to that place. But they didn't have the, the belief in him, despite the many miracles, despite the ten plagues that were sent, despite the so many things, despite the Red Sea being parted, they were grumbling and complaining. If you're grumbling and complaining with the Lord, there's unbelief in your heart. Because you don't believe that he is taking you into his rest and there's work for the rest all right poor joshua he had to wait 40 years him and caleb were the only two who were able from that generation to enter in because they went and spied out the land with 10 others and they came back and caleb gave a good report and joshua said amen but the other 10 were filled with unbelief said there's giants in the land and they're filled with fear fear that god wouldn't provide the protection against the inhabitants of the land, that he wouldn't destroy the enemies like he had just destroyed the Egyptians before. Their unbelief, they personally witnessed these miracles and yet they were still filled with unbelief. It's, it's deep inside of us and God wants to excavate it out and fill us with belief, fill us with confidence, fill us that his promises are yes and amen. And that his promises are abundant and they are flowing with milk and honey. When we don't have faith for, for God to pour himself out on us in whatever way that might manifest, we'll become jaded, jealous, critical, easily offended, divisive, derisive. When we're not cast upon the rock of ages, the storms come and we'll blow away. Or we might just hang on by a thread, but that's not, that doesn't sound like abundant living to me. We need to be cast upon the rock. See, I, I think of that parable, the, the house of two foundations, the man who built on the rock and the storms came and it still stood. And then the man who built upon the sand 
and the storm came and it all got washed away. And here I'm, I'm trying to help us build an abundant thinking about our God as provider, as protector, as a, as a God of abundance, trying to build us on that rock. I think when the storm came, that guy like barely sweated. Like, all right, cool, whatever. That's why I built on the rock. I, I anticipated this coming. I had a plan. Worst case scenario, whatever. I was, I was ready for it. It's not risk management. I had faith that God was going to protect me. Because it doesn't say what. It said he was built on the rock. I don't know what he built out of. Maybe it was out of straw and God divinely protected him even though it should have blown away. I'm not advocating doing that, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm having a little liberty with the text. It doesn't say it. But if we build upon the rock, our foundation is right. He can, he can work with that. He can work with that. But if we're knowingly building on the sand, we're going to reap the storm coming and it blowing us away. There is patience and work to get the abundance. I said it earlier. Poor Joshua waits 40 years, and then he has to lead the army of Israel and defeat all these peoples. He had to, there was hard work before him in order to receive the land flowing with milk and honey. We have to do our end, but the Lord's always faithful to do his. Amen? So what are our Joshua battles? What are the tests we must pass in order to have to have the abundance? Each man and woman in here has to answer that for themselves. Some of us know what that test is, even right now as I'm speaking. We're just unwilling, like I said earlier, to sit down and take the test because the conversation might be too difficult or the finances might be a little tight or the awkwardness or the tension in the room that might take place if we go there and have a real gospel conversation. But when was our God lost to anything that was too fill-in-the-blank, too difficult, too high, too low, too tall, too whatever? He's victorious every time. We stand in a place of victory. We're supposed to be wearing the helmet of his salvation. He didn't need saved. We're the ones who need saved. So what does is, what is the fullness of that mean? His salvation, there's, there's a component of victory in completion to its definition. The work is finished for us. We just have to, and prepared from us, for, prepared for us before the foundation of the world. We just have to be faithful to walk in it. That treadmill that we're supposed to be walking on, the name on it is faith. All right, and as the Lord, as we exercise more faith, the speed's going to get faster. Why? Not to wear us down, but to increase our endurance, to increase what God can do in and through us. Nowhere in the Gospels do we question Jesus' faith. Nowhere. It's like, it's like a given. He was a tremendous man of God, right? And he, obviously, he was God. <laughs> but it's, it's nowhere questioned, and he commends so many other people for their exercise of faith. Faith moves mountains. And faith, faith will move you off of barely above the empty and into the abundance, into the overflowing. See, if I'm, if I'm in the red, I can only go 40 or 50 miles or maybe 100 miles if I'm in a Prius. I don't know. But what if I don't want to truncate myself? I don't want to go short in God when I could have had 500 miles. If our shield of faith isn't up, we're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Those arrows will come, and they're going to deflate a tire, and we're, we're stuck on the roadside. Worse yet, maybe we crash, we take others down with us. But if we got our shield of faith, we're fighting. We're in the battle. We're going to go far. When that familiar foe comes, because he, he likes to launch the same arrows, right? He, he does. He tempts us with the same thing over and over until he figures out, all right, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win this one. We need to have that shield of faith up, and then, oh, this is, dealt with this before and then guess what what we've dealt with before and we're in a healthy spot about about it God's going to send you people in your way to minister in those same exact areas if 
you've struggled with lust, if you struggle with pornography and you've dealt a death blow to it and you've defeated it and you're walking uprightly in righteousness and holy living with the Lord and you're a good place, guess what? You're probably going to minister about it. That's the testimony of our brother Austin who shared a couple weeks ago. I'm excited for the gospel conversations around fear in, in general and finances that I'm going to have because God's dealing a death blow in it in my life. No more deception for me. No more deception for you. Mm. Yeah, I just, I just felt like I'm supposed to share a little bit of my testimony when it comes to the Lord's provision in my life that it might encourage some of you. Some of it's big, some of it's little, but I think there's a tidbit, tidbit and lesson for, for all of us. I, I told you earlier I wasn't serving the Lord, but he still provided for me. I had a full-ride scholarship in college, and I was rebelling hard against him. Why did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> his grace, his mercy, his love. But that was a part of his provision before I actively started serving him. And then when Brittany and I decided to go from two incomes down to one at the birth of our child, I was riddled with fear, but I had just enough faith, praise the Lord, that he gave me just enough to exercise and say, you know what? Honey, I know your desire is to be at home with the children, and, and we're going to try to make it happen. And within a month, I got a new job and a raise. And you know, every time that we had a child, we have three now, I saw my income jump up, whether it be promotion or bonuses. And I was in commercial real estate for six years, and the way that my commission structure was, I wasn't, I was mostly salary, but there was commissions that would come in, and it was uncanny the amount of times a medical bill would come, a car repair would come, and we would get a, a, a bonus that was more than whatever came in. It was, it was uncanny. It was the Lord's provision. The, month after month, that would happen. I'm like, I can't explain it. I was in my most recent position for four years, and when I started to when I quit, every single year, the team grew in revenue. And I believe that was the Lord's favor on my life and that what more revenue for the team meant the bigger bonus checks for me. And I was just like, God, thank you so much. As I was partnering with him, as I was walking in communion with him, the favor on my life was increasing. Yeah, I'm just talking materially, but I was growing spiritually. I was growing in the fruit of the spirit. I was growing in spiritual gifts. I was growing in so much because I was growing in faith. The beginning, at the beginning of this year, it was prophesied over this house, you know, the word uh, abundance, and that many of us would receive abundance, whatever that might look like for you. And for me, I really wrestled with that because, again, I was in the midst of fear about does God really care and provide for me? And now at this point, I'm in full-time ministry and the pressures that come with that. But, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner with this word. See, when we receive a word that's from the Lord, it's important that we partner with it. Otherwise, it just goes to waste. And the seed that should have produced 30, 60, 90 fold, it just, it dies. It's sad. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve him. He gave me the opportunity to be faithful to, to partner with it. And so that word gets prophesied. And I'm like, all right, Lord, we're going to give like we never gave before. We were always faithful to give, but... We were starting to write checks that we, we noticed that hurt, frankly. And they hurt because God didn't have a, a full uh, hold of my heart yet, right? Because he loves a cheerful giver. They should have never hurt. I should have been super cheerful about it. And he's, again, he's working on me. Is working. Now when I give, there is a cheer about me. There is great joy. And there is not entitlement, but expectation that, Lord, you're going to do something great with this. I know that you are. I'm sowing in faith. And so I'm going to reap in faith. And like I said before, that comes in many ways. But I'm telling you, God has returned that stuff within one time a day. I know we, we like to keep it high level sometimes and not specific numbers or whatnot. But I'll just, I guess I'll steal from my future blessing. I don't care. I feel like this is supposed to edify someone. We gave a $3,000 check to a missionary. Within that week, the Lord supernaturally brought it back. 
through, stir, through stirring up someone we've never, no one's ever given to us personally in a, like a abundant way. But someone gave a big check to us. Say, hey, I want to sow into your ministry. And then a tax return, tax return check and something else. And all of a sudden, over $3,000 came back in my coffers within a week. It's like, wh what in the world, Lord? What in the world? Like, but I had to have the faith to sow that initially. I didn't have any expectation of it. In fact, I, I remember giving it and saying, Lord, bring it back to me non-financially. Like, I just want more of you, Jesus. And I know that this has a part in my heart that doesn't belong. I love what Jeremiah Johnson said uh, when he was here a few months ago. He said anytime his bank account gets to a number where he feels too, comfort, too comfortable, he gives away. Like, that's, that's great faith right there, Lord. And I share that by way of reminder, and that just dropped into me. That, that convicts me. Lord, I don't want to get comfortable because I want to be cast upon you as the rock, not, find, not my own striving and efforts when it comes to provision and finances. Because when it's my own, that's the sand. When it's him, that's the rock. Brittany's been wanting a, this is another $3,000, <laughs> crazy, I guess the Lord likes threes, I'm not into all that numerology, whatever, it's just like, praise the Lord, he, he likes ones, threes, sevens, twelves, 120s, 40s, I'm missing a lot of numbers, like there's a lot of numbers out there for him to like, 3,000 souls, 5,000 were fed, but like I said, we've been putting off some wants. We want to expand our patio. Not so we have this big, beautiful patio. We, we want to have more people over and enjoy time outside and spend more time outside with our children. I lament personally when I, when I drive around the neighborhood. There's a trail that goes through, and I can see pretty far up each direction. If I don't see anyone, I'm, I'm grieved because I'm like, where is everyone at? It's a beautiful day. Why aren't they out walking or whatever? In, in our old neighborhood, I would pass by every single day the park. And it was a beautiful park with jungle gym and all the things for little kids, a tennis court, a basketball court, so many times. It was just empty. And I would be sad. Like, man, if I was a kid in this neighborhood, I'd be living at that thing because I lived outside. And now here I am as a parent wanting the same thing for my kids. And yet, what am I going to do to help steward that, provide that? Because I see the, the beauty of them being outside and not stuck to a phone stuck to a television. I don't want this to be their babysitter because we're really really careful about what they see and try to protect. We have some convictions about some animated stuff that's out there that's frankly demonic. We need to be examining the content of what we bring in and what we allow our children to watch as well. Anyway, I say all that. We want a bigger patio in order to host, in order to have people because it's a fun thing to be outside Praise the Lord, we're having beautiful weather. And it's $3,000 to pour more concrete. <clears throat> well, we, we, you know, we're going to have to reach into savings. I don't want to do that. Here's fear bubbling up inside of me. But, you know, I'm just like, I'm just going to say yes. The Lord's going to provide. He, he already has. It's in the savings. It's just I need to let go and release it to him because this is something he is asking me to do. Sincerely, it may sound silly, but he's asking me to spend the money and expand the patio. And it's going to be $3,000. Three days later, we get an inheritance check for $3,000. I can't explain that. Yeah. Yeah, and we want to honor her legacy. It was Grandma. I shared about her passing uh, before. and She was a generous woman, and so, you know, I, the first words out of, you know, Grandpa delivered the, the check in this lovely letter and said, you know, Grandma wanted to bless all the, the kids and grandkids and just whatever you want to do with it, whether it's home improvement or this and that and the other thing. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm not that dense and dumb. Like, <laughs> we're doing it. And he used it as an opportunity for me to share that testimony, and his reaction was, what a, what a miracle. That's, an, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm believing for further gospel conversations with him and, and expanding his thinking for how God moves miraculously. 
Again, it's not just materially. He's expanding my abundant thinking outside of that realm. I used to be the best worst case scenario planner. Maybe not the best, but I was, you know, silver or bronze. I was on the podium, okay? I was giving a good run for whoever was up there. And it's not risk management. I don't think it was me who told Paul that, but I probably ascribed to that theology at one point. It, it was fear for me. It was unbelief in God's protection and provision. But God's given me a new filter, a new way to process, a new lens. It's like I was, I've been walking around life with drunk glasses on, and he's given me new glasses that have 20-20 vision. Praise the Lord. So that everything is filtered, is, is not filtered from that lens of fear, from that lens of God, God doesn't care enough. God's not going to provide. It's a jacked-up filter. That leads to pessimism. That leads to negativity. I don't want to go about life doing that. That's not in the life of a believer. That's how I opened. I don't want that to be true of me, and I certainly don't want to pass that down to my children. Because a lot of things aren't taught, they're caught. And if that's the environment in my home, they're going to catch it. And they're going to need a deep work of the Lord in order to get back to whole. I'd rather the Lord have to do a deep work in some other area. They don't have to do, he doesn't have to do it in the, in the realm of something so basic as I care, I provide. Are we not worth more than two sparrows? Is he not going to clothe us more than the lilies of the field? Hmm. God can deliver us from discouragement and unbelief that has plagued us. He's doing it even right now. you all stand with me we'll land this plane if everyone can say say God is so much bigger than my problems he is I love sometimes we sing something and it's like we got to sing our way into the truth if that's you and you need to sing that on your car ride home sing it Seriously, get desperate. It sounds weird. sounds different. But I've taken some desperate steps in my walk with the Lord recently to really get free. And if you think your problems are bigger than the Lord, it's time to start telling, telling Satan to shut up and say God is so much bigger than my problems. His kingdom's deeper than that. There's so much freedom in the kingdom. I feel things breaking off of me even right now. There's so much freedom in this room, available to you and me. No man, no program, no government can give me the kind of freedom that Jesus is giving me. And it goes way beyond the payment of sin. I know that's base level. I know that's foundational. I know that's key and critical and important. We're free from sin, but we're free to have abundant life as well. We're not just stuck at neutral. We're in drive. We're in we're in sixth gear. We're driving a fast car if, if we would only partner with them and allow, right? We're, we don't need to be in, stuck in first or second gear, just, just barely crawling along. That's not life abundant. God wants us not thinking so much about all the externals and get our gaze fixed on him. Tomorrow has enough troubles. We need to be pr present today. Jesus has got tomorrow taken care of because he's got today taken care of. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. So if, we're, if we believe in him for today, why aren't we believing in him for tomorrow? We just need to know how to receive and live in the abundance of joy, the abundance of hope, the abundance of grace, the abundance of every good thing that he wants to give to those who call upon his name. It's there. It's available. If you'll just open your hands with me as we pray, if you're willing, as a sign of receiving the love of the Father. It was Father's Day last week. Pops gave a great message about the fatherhood of God. And he wants his children to receive something this morning. I hope you have. 
He wants you to receive his abundant life. Psalm 84 says, You will lack no good thing for those who walk uprightly. And if God didn't even spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? Say all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a free, joyful giver and that that is what you want to impart into our hearts this morning, a realization of just how abundant you are, how much life you have inside of you, and that we're only tasting but a, a, a tidbit. But Lord, you're, the, the morsel is, is, is really a bite. It's, it's dinner. It's food at the table. We are, we are invited to the dinner table with you. Lord, don't let a meager mindset plague us and let us sit down next to you hoping that a crumb falls but that we're seated next to you and that you are giving a full course meal today that we can chew on for a lifetime that's going to sustain more than sustain to overfill and overflow us for a lifetime that we would have life and life abundant Jesus we are so grateful for the life in our lungs but we're even more grateful for the work that you are doing in our hearts, that you are filling us up even now, Lord, with our hands open, that you are filling us up with the fruit of your spirit because the point of abundance is that we would have you abundantly. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. We want to walk in your ways. We want to experience your truth. We want to have your life and life abundant. No more waiting. No more meager expectations. We don't want to project on you any longer. Come and destroy any stronghold, Lord, that might keep us from receiving rightly and fully from you. Lord, I ask that you would destroy the fear in the room and replace it with your love. It has no place. Lord, we partner with what you're doing in our lives. Would you fill us with courage and with faith to partner with what you are doing. If we've been holding back, release us, Lord. Help us to, to release ourselves. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes boldness. And we receive it all from you. Lord Jesus, you are able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think or imagine. To you be the glory of a life laid down, of a son, of a daughter that believes truly that we serve an abundant God. Come and have your way, Lord Jesus. Come and have it all. It's in your name we pray. Amen.